The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? This is Barton Simmons. That's Bud Elliott. This is the Barton and Bud Show. Uh, we're coming at you midweek here after a, a fantastic weekend of football. SEC kickoff. Now we get SEC week two. We get more interconference matchups. Uh, we broke down the reactor to the week. Now we're going to look ahead to next weekend. Bud, how are you? Are you ready for another great slate? Dude, I'm, I'm doing well. I. You know, I was doing our podcast listening, so I took my son to the park this morning. We didn't even need to go into the park because he got to see that this crew chop down this this enormous tree and then chop it up, and then they, they used a big claw truck to put it in to the truck. So that was cool. I listened to an episode of our USC podcast, The Peristyle, and uh, sat there with him as we watched that magic happen. And I'm I'm excited to break down this slate and kind of say what what we're looking forward to. Take a mailbag question do the one big recruiting thing and uh i'm excited that uh on version 2.0 of this recording your internet is holding holding steady so (laughs) how's things in the simmons household don't jinx it uh things in the simmons household are great uh we saw if we as you know (laughs) we 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 are we looked at a house today even though we just moved into a new house um uh you know it, it I don't want to go too deep into our reasoning for looking into the house, but let's just say my wife is finicky, um, and her she, her 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 feelings change quickly about her domicile, and so you know what we're always on the market. Um, so as long as I don't move before the end of the day, um, I'll, I'll still have a good spot to watch football this weekend. I think it's always scary when you get that uh, you know. Your wife's name has favor- has favorited a house on Zillow email. I'm like, wait, what? We we, we just moved. Yeah, right. Oh man. Right. Yeah, if, uh, if if you guys are not listening or not watching on the YouTube version of this, Barton's face right now is uh, is awesome. Oh, it's, man. Uh, yeah, it's you never you never know what you're gonna get. You know, it's all sort of like I'm always kind of like Big Twelve football. You know, you never quite know what you're gonna get on any given week or any given day. So, um, hey, that's why we like it. We like college football. That's why we like Haley. Um, so you know what? Let's let's figure out what we're gonna get this weekend. Um, Bud, where you want? What's the what's the game? Maybe maybe we'll go chronologically, uh, morning to evening for anyone that's trying to you know kind of schedule their their. You're an organized guy, trying to schedule out their day in the proper way. Uh, what's 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 the first itch you want to scratch? 
so like if you had to kind of block out some time on a Saturday to go house shopping, right? I, I think yes. <laughs> I think when you want to get this done is in the morning, right? Because I look at the, I look at this this noon Eastern slate, eleven for you Central timers, and I, I really only see one game that I'm all that interested in. But but I need to make sure that I can be on the couch largely undisturbed for, for the afternoon and for the evening slate. So let, let's go ahead and start with that nooner if you're somebody who's going to be you know parking your butt on the couch. And that's that's Texas TCU, man. Both teams coming off games where do they deserve to win? Do they deserve to lose? Kind of debatable, I guess. Texas takes care of TC or Texas Tech in an absolute shootout. Uh, that was largely kind of field position based. Their their offense didn't even look that good, and TCU uh, loses to Iowa State after their defense gets totally torched. And uh, I'm interested to see what we're what we're going to have come uh, of this one. So my my first, I know we always play instead of like what will happen, but kind of like what, what we want to learn is is Max Duggan is he is he going to play like this? Because they inserted him in the second half of that game. I didn't even think he was going to play at all. And he goes 16 of 19 for 241 against Iowa State's defense. Like, yo, uh, uh, if he plays a full game, that's what, 32 of 38 for, for 480? Um, yeah, that, that's pretty solid right there. That's my first real question for this one. And I also, my other question is kind of about TCU too. Is their defense going to suck? Like, like they, they got lit up by Iowa State with the big play. I think about half of Iowa State's yards came on just five plays against TCU. And I want to see, can Texas be explosive? We saw Brennan Eagles this week get moved up on the depth chart above Tariq Black. And uh, Texas needs needs a few more explosive plays on offense if they want to you know, get out of that league unscathed. So that's, that's kind of what I'm going to be watching for in that. There, there's a few explosive plays baked into these numbers I'm about to tell you, but um, it was startling to see what TCU's defense did on first against Iowa State. Iowa State on first down, they had 13 rushes for 172 yards, averaged 13 yards a rush on first down. Uh, okay. And, and so, again, maybe, maybe there's a couple of big plays in there um, that, that skew those numbers. But how about passing? On first down, Iowa State's 9 of 11 for 106 yards. Hmm. Like, uh not sure what's you know what up here on TCU's defense because that that's if, if you're if you are preseason expecting a lot out of TCU I think it's that it's defensive motivated um, because there is a lot to there's a lot of like about this team defensively there's some really good linebackers they've got some they've got some good defensive linemen they've got uh, one of the best safety duos in the country um, and Gary Patterson was understandably upset after last game uh, with regard to the, just the way they played and particularly how they stopped the run, which they, they didn't do much of. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see what TCU can can muster defensively. Now, in terms of the Max Duggan thing, yeah, like we always were, I think, optimistic about what Max Duggan was going to do, how he was going to improve, evolve. And I think that... Yeah, like jumped off the bench. Like he didn't even start. I mean, if they if they really expected him to to be ready, I, I assume he would have started. So he kind of came up, I guess, half prepared for this, and then was was fantastic. 
I think the 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 side of it, there's two parts of it that aren't surprising about this. One is that just we like Max Duggan. We like his upside. We like his potential. And the other one is an area that TCU is very talented, even with like even when you consider what they lost from last year's team, Jalen Rager in particular, is wide receiver. Like they have very good players at the wide receiver position. A couple of those are young, a couple of those are freshmen, but uh they've got They've got really talented players at wide receiver. So if Max Duggan can be a consistent quarterback, that offense can be great. And I don't know what's going to go on with the running back position because it's it's you know it doesn't seem like they're giving a lot of carries to their best players at the running back or the most talented players at the running back position right now for TCU. But you know for a for a Texas defense that just got torched last week against Texas Tech, um, there's there's plenty of reason to to be a little bit um, cautious about what you're about to face uh, in regards to TCU's ability to throw the ball. Yeah, I, I am not in a race to go out and lay 13 points with Texas against this. I mean, if you tell me Texas is up 18 going to the fourth, I'm really not very comfortable if they're going to be able to hold that lead and, and, uh, and cover that line. Man, I, 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 just, I was surprised that, that, that TCU's defense got lit up with explosive plays as, as bad as it did. And look, we focused on the five real explosives for Iowa State, and I think with good reason. I mean, those are, are if you have half your yards on five plays, that, that's a pretty big deal. But at the same time, one in, was it, like one in six plays for Iowa State was an explosive play. That's, that's like unheard of. I, I mean, that's, I, I go over all these box scores. Guys, one in six being explosive is not something that, that is normal, nor it's probably not sustainable either. So I, I do think TCU's defense will probably improve a little bit. But if, if you're going to watch a nooner, I, I think this is exciting because there are legitimately questions on both sides of the ball for each team about a team that we think are going to be somewhere between good and really good, especially if Duggan you know, happens to, to play, you know, keep playing well uh, for for TCU. So that, that's my pick for the noon slate. Um, there's going to be a lot of weeks this year where I have, like, I'm really dedicated to watching the noon slate. This is not necessarily one of those weeks because we have some we have some bangers later on in the slate. I do think um, before we get to the the afternoon slate, which is which is a little bit more uh, compelling, I think Florida South Carolina is is another one that's going to be instructive because Florida, like South Carolina Tennessee are in, in, in a lot of ways sort of the same team, and they're the same team regardless of the year. You know whether they're having a good year, a bad year, like they all just sort of games and it's kind of ugly football and, and, and figure out a way. Um, but last week was, was really promising with regard to Florida and their offense. South Carolina will put up a better fight defensively. And so if Florida does another, if they put another big number up against South Carolina, then, you know, get ready for the hype train. Um, get ready for Georgia to be a distant, you know, second in, in all the, the mid season prognostications. Like I just, this is going to be, I think a really interesting week to find out how, how for real Florida is. So um, there's more games I like, but, but South Carolina is, is absolutely going to be a good measuring tick, measuring stick in a way. I don't think Ole Miss was for Florida. What does that number have to get to for you to take the Gamecocks? I mean, I'm thinking about taking them right now. I just, I, I'm, okay. I'm just, I'm just not sure. I mean, 17 and a half is what I'm seeing right now. Like, I'm not sure 
how how much we can really gauge off of that old miss like that old miss defense was 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 not good um and and i just think south carolina is is i i think that they'll try to slow the game down and and uh i don't know like what is this series at i would have to look at what this series has been looking at recently between will muschamp and dan mullen but that that just feels like a very big number based on a lopsided week one win that was or just didn't get much resistance. So I, I can think of some games. I don't remember what the exact scores were in my mind where South Carolina kept it kept it pretty close for a while and and stop me if you've heard this before, but then they kind of got down there in a the red zone and had a critical turnover and then they committed a, a silly penalty, which was sort of an emotional penalty. And then all of a sudden Florida pulls away. Uh, and then I think maybe either Florida or South Carolina got, got away with like a crazy block in the back that, that sprung somebody for a long play. This, this might have been last year's game. I'm trying to remember which one that was. Um, looking at here for the series. What do we have? 35-31, 38-27, uh, and then 2019 was uh, – 2019, 38, 27, 2018, 35, 31. So what was 2017? 2017 was uh, Florida lost uh, 20 to 28. Yeah. So those are the three. I mean, those are three competitive games. Yeah. You know, that's, I'm just a little bit, I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm just surprised. 17 and a half is a big number. Mullen has, you know, twice put 35 plus on Muschamp in two meetings, though. So I I would want to go back and look to see how Mullen, uh, did in prior you know, at Mississippi State when he faced uh, a must-champ defense. Um, because certainly we know some other guys in that coaching tree, you know, Saban's defense, Kirby's defense, has really owned what 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 Mullen does on offense. But uh, he's he's had must-champ's number for sure the last two years. I, I don't disagree with you, by the way, on, on taking the 18. Um, I just – I would love to see if Florida could steam a little bit more and, and get to 20. Uh, although – this opened, I think, 19 and a half, and so it's actually been bet down a little bit. So I guess we'll see what this thing does. I just personally, right now, it's kind of in a dead zone for me. I don't really feel the need to rush out and take 18 at this point. Like, I don't think it's going to move against me that much. And if it does, that's fine. You know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, get really pissed that I miss it. Uh, here's a game I can't miss though. Is this, can we say this is for the SEC West? Maybe a little bit too early to say that, but like this is a huge deciding game in that division, man. Three thirty CBS game. We're company men. We're we're going to deep dive this a little bit. Texas A and M Alabama. What seventeen seventeen and a half point spread right now? Three thirty kick. Bama looked honestly. Their starters looked pretty damn dominant over Missouri in in week one. A and M as far as yards per play. Kind of dominated Vanderbilt in the same way, except they never they did not translate it to the scoreboard uh, at all. They beat them seventeen to twelve, uh, as opposed to the you know pretty comfortable win that Alabama had. And I, I was playing around, and I, I've known this to be true just intrinsically before, but I never really like looked up exactly the stuff. I've got one question for you here in this game: Can Texas A and M's receivers win one on one battles on the outside? against Bama. Like, that's it. So Nick has lost 23 games as like as, as head coach of the Tide. 
I'm going to take out six of those because it was year one. I really don't care. Like he didn't have his system fully installed, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to take out the two Sugar Bowl losses, the Oklahoma and the Utah, when their fans say they really didn't care about the game. I think that might be kind of BS a little bit, but for this for this argument, let's just let's wipe those. So that leaves us with 15 losses Nick Saban has had. I found a pretty common trend in 14 of those 15, and then we'll spot the game which didn't have this, and I think we'll we'll figure out why. So check this out. It's not mobile quarterback play because these lo- like Alabama's lost to mobile quarterbacks. He's lost to pocket passers. You know, it's not the ability to run a whole lot. You know, at, or or to escape the pocket. It's, it's really not that. The one commonality I found in 14 of these 15 losses, dude, is that they, their, their DBs get beat by guys who are really talented players and oftentimes by guys who a year or two later were like, damn, that dude ended up being really good and now he's actually starting on my fantasy football team in the NFL. So here's the list. Ready? 2008, they lose to UF. Percy Harvin, Lewis Murphy, Aaron Hernandez. Not a bad uh, skill trio there. 2009, they don't lose. 2010, Jordan Jefferson goes for 10.8 yards per attempt. The guy doing almost all that damage, Ruben Randall, who you know played for, what, eight years now, maybe nine in the NFL. South Carolina beats him in 2010 as well. Little guy named Alshon Jeffrey uh, catching passes from Steven Garcia. I think history proved out that it was probably more to do with, with Jeffrey just mossing dudes in that game. I think he went for almost a buck fifty. 2011 LSU, this is the 9-6 to six game, so you don't really think about this being receivers, but as far as yards per attempt, when they were throwing to Randall and a guy named Odell Beckham Jr., actually pretty high. Now, they didn't score, I mean, 9-6, to six, but it still kind of fits. 2012, dude named Mike Evans wasn't bad, and they had a couple other guys who had a cup of coffee in the NFL there, too. 2013, Sammy Coates for Auburn, Ricardo Lewis. They both kind of busted in the NFL, but they, they were, what, second and fourth round picks, I believe, and they were pretty good receivers at Auburn for having a, a guy who was really a cornerback and Nick Marshall throwing in the ball. 2014 Ole Miss, a couple guys named Evan Ingram and Laquan Treadwell, both really good college players, both drafted you know, fairly highly, and uh, you know Ingram is still still kicking around in the league. I don't know if Treadwell is or not. He, he might still be on a team. I think he's in there somewhere. I just don't think he's doing much, but but he was – he was a first-round pick, right? So Yeah. 2014 Ohio State. Uh, this one, actually, I think of as kind of the Zeke game, but the dudes that Cardell Jones was thrown to, um, Michael Thomas, may have heard of him, Curtis Samuel, and a guy named Devin Smith, who didn't really do anything so far in the NFL, but was actually like a top 40 pick, I believe. The Jets took him in round two. 2015 Old Miss, Evan Ingram, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell, and then Cody Core went off in that game, and he was actually a sixth-round pick. 2016, Clemson, you guys will know these names. Deion Kane, Jordan Leggett, Mike Williams, Hunter Renfro. 2017, Auburn. Darius Slayton, Carrion Johnson, who's not a receiver, but he did have some big catches for them in that one. I, I'm kind of debatable if, as, if that one fits, but Slayton certainly had a good game for them. 2018, I mean, Ross, Higgins, Renfro, next. Uh, 2019, LSU, we know who was on that team. And then 2019, Auburn. Uh, I think Seth Williams actually had a fairly uh, decent day. So the one loss that Nick has had where I think Bama fans will tell you that his team cared about the loss and it you know, beyond his first year, where the team didn't have anybody as far as outside. It, any guesses here? Uh, so the, the, is, one, is, the one team was, to beat him. 20, 20, uh, you, you tell me. 
Uh, Cam Newton, 2010 Auburn. Right, right. Yeah, oh. so I was trying try to remember what the year was. Um, so, like, the basically the takeaway is, yeah, sometimes it is a, a mobile quarterback, um, but the, the, the common thread is the idea that it's not 11 on 11. It's not 11 guys beating 11 guys. It's one guy beating one guy or one guy doing something sort of outside the structure of, of the offense to just go make a play. Because if you're just going to bet on your 11 over Alabama's 11, Alabama's got the best 11. They've, they always are going to have the best 11. And as long as Nick Saban is there from a recruiting standpoint. And so do you have a playmaker that can be better than one of their guys? Uh, right. Would you, is that a fair way of, uh, of, yeah, of I, summarizing it? I, I think so. And like Nick, Nick is a defensive back coach by trade. Even before he was a DB, you know, DC, he was a DB coach and he has designed his defense to essentially dare you to beat his guys in one-on-one coverage, not always man coverage, but typically like one-on-one opportunities to the outside. Right. And if you can't night, night termite, you're not doing it. Like you're, you're not going to beat Alabama with the exception. If you happen to have Cam Newton, then we're going to make an exception for that. But like ultimately, you have got to win those one-on-one battles that Alabama basically sits there and says, you won't beat us enough times on these. And for the most part, man, Nick Saban's like 140 and 15 if you take out those, you know, those, those couple games where his team probably didn't care in his first year. He's almost always right about this. When it doesn't happen, it's that the other team has a dude who's both very talented and balled out on that day against him. And this is where I kind of come to A&M. And Jamon Osmond opted out. And Cam Buckley is out for the year with an injury. But I look at their recruiting, dude, and like they have some guys who we rated pretty highly. And yet, in the game against Vanderbilt, they didn't create explosive plays through the air. I mean, that was, that was a major issue. And we can argue they were holding guy, like holding stuff back for Bama, and, and I wouldn't put that past Jimbo Fisher to do. I think he's a smart coach. But at the same time, he has had a reputation for it being tough for you know freshmen to go in there and grasp that offense, both in, in College Station and in Tallahassee, and make a real impact early. I mean, we, we saw Rashad Green do it, but not a, not a, lot, of, not a lot of other guys have. So – do you think AM has anybody who can actually threaten Bama on the outside enough for them to, to have a shot in this game? Yeah, they got a guy named DeMont Demas, who's a true freshman that didn't even play. Um, right. And it, it, and Jimbo Fisher, I don't know why he didn't play, but Jimbo Fisher said he just like wasn't ready. And and I I, I just had took it like a passing look at that 2017. Bama wide receiver class and those guys all flashed as true freshmen but game against Florida State I don't think Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs or Devontae Smith any of them had a catch um you know it's like sometimes so I'll, I'll grant you that like it doesn't always have to come come game one and, and the wide receiver position isn't it is is a is sometimes it gets um misunderstood as a position where you just sort of roll the ball out there and say, Hey, go, go run a stick route and we'll throw it to you. I mean, there's, there's more to it than that. And uh, particularly in, in some of these more modern offenses, but I think when you, 
when that's a deficiency on your roster? Because it is. They don't, I mean, they literally have, I think, like one or two catches coming back from the wide receiver position from last year. If that's a deficiency on your roster and you've recruited well at, at the position over the last two years, allegedly, like there's, you know, be a good coach and figure out a way to, for those guys to make impacts because you're going to, to, to your research, like you are going to need those guys to make plays. And Demond Demas, I don't know. I mean, he's, he is very talented. We didn't have him as a five-star 20 percent sports because clearly we, like, we didn't think he was a sure thing. He's raw. He is, he's a freak athlete all the way freak. Um, but he is raw and he is a guy that has been inconsistent as a catcher. He's not super polished as a route runner, but I feel like this is the type of game. If A&M wants to beat Alabama, they need to get a guy like that in there and they need to draw up a couple shots to him and, and see if he can go out, jump Pat Sertan jr. Um, or Job. or Joe, like I, I, I may not. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I'm not but like, no, no, you're right. like there's they're like, they're all good players wherever you go. And so, but, but do you have a, but in, in a game where there may not be a ton of big plays there, um, can you generate two with, with, with someone like that on the outside, just by letting him go out and be a better athlete than someone? Cause there's not like as good as Alabama is as good as Pastor Tan is and as good as all those guys. Like Demond Demas is as good an athlete as you're going to see in, in the human race. Like he does things that are, 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 are not, are, 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 are not typical of, of many human beings. And so, um, it's, it's, you know, it's just, I, I let's see, like, let, I think that he's got to figure out a way it does to find some big plays in the past game. If he wants to have a chance to win this game, like you can't Jimbo Fisher built this team at Alabama, at, at Texas A&M in the same way. Will Muschamp tried to build South Carolina in the same way, in some ways that the Jeremy Pruitt era started at Tennessee. I think they've started to transition a little more the last year or so. Um, In the same way, I don't know if I I put Ed Ogeron in this mix or not, but like, Oh, we got to get bigger. Like we got to, we got to build a Bama beaten team and we got to get bigger and stronger. We can't, you know, we got to get good on the offensive line and good on the defensive line and all that's important. But I think his, the, the Jimbo Fisher uh, Bama beating uh, blueprint is is going to be put to the test this week. I, I'm interested as well as as far as other things we want to learn in this game. How slow will Jimbo go? Right. I mean, he is a guy who already plays a very slow pace, and he is one of the routinely the slowest offenses in the country outside of like Army Navy, the service academies, and like the whatever other triple option teams you want to put in there. When he is outgunned. He has oftentimes cranked that thing. I mean, it, it's already closer to the turtle on the lawnmower, but he like he yanks it all the way back. I mean, like we're we're just we're, we're full on turtle here. Look at the Clemson game last year. What they have eight possessions total. I mean, he tries to crank that thing down, and it's not a terrible underdog strategy to be honest, because the more possessions you have, the more talented team, the better team is more likely to end up you know showing its true talent and winning out. But like it wouldn't surprise me if this game is fairly low scoring, you know, a pretty experienced offensive line for Texas A&M. I know their, their message board was not very happy with their performance on Saturday uh, with, with a couple tackles for loss given up and whatnot. And some of that's probably on Kellen Mond too. And I think it's the first time we actually said the name Kellen Mond on this show uh, or on this episode. I mean, they'll need him to play well, but I think that the tempo is something I'm very interested in. And I, I think Bama's offense is pretty damn good. 
But I'm not sold on the idea that there's no real drop-off from Tua to Mac Jones yet. They they were not that consistent against Missouri. They did have a guy named Jalen Waddell who they could just chuck it up to, and he just looks like that much faster than everybody else on the field and seems he has hit like the Mario Kart star, whereas everybody else is just in regular mode and you know he just he, he bails them out. But hey, what eight, do you think about this? Quickly. Yeah. Uh, value on Jalen as a Heisman guy right now. Ooh, that worth, worth that we're throwing, sprinkle a little bit on because he's I, gonna make he's gonna be the he's gonna have some 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 sex appeal. He's gonna have flashy plays. He's gonna get return. He's gonna they're gonna hand him the ball off here and there. They're gonna throw it to him. Obviously, he's gonna get some return yardage. And Alabama might be the best team in the country, but. Might, people might be a little reluctant to go hand a, a Heisman to, to Mac Jones, right or wrong. I'm looking for what his odds are, but I, I think, like especially if if Harris does not emerge as a superstar for them, you know, if, if he's just to continually to be a good, solid player, then yeah, I, I think there's definitely some value on it um, because w- what he did against Missouri was great, but it wasn't like national highlight reel where everybody notices him, starts to know the name even more. Uh, and and maybe this is a year a receiver could win. I I definitely don't think they're going to give it to Mac Jones. So yeah, I I actually don't hate that. Um, I I do think A and M's defense has enough talent. I mean, you have guys. First of all, you have experience. They they, they have eight, eight guys back out of eleven on defense, and then some of these listed backups are dudes who who we liked a lot, right? I mean, Demarvin Leal is technically not starting for them. He's the number one backup at, at both of the defensive end spots. If Missouri could kind of get Alabama off schedule, now it didn't matter because Alabama got back on schedule via just chucking to Jalen. But if, if Missouri could do it, I do think A&M can do it. I'm just not sure. I mean, there is the whole Nick Saban is, what, 19-0 all time against his former assistants but with an average score of 45-10 to 10 or whatever that is. That's concerning <laughs> if you're about to bet A&M just because – Saban seems to keep a book on everybody who ever worked for him. Uh, but I think AM's defense could be salty here. And I, I did bet the under on this uh, on, uh, on Monday when they came out on, on the Bud's Bets column. And that's since moved uh, in our direction. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, uh, this will be I, – I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying on, on A&M. And, and I think, too, like when you look back at that Vanderbilt A&M game, like – and in some ways, A and M, you know, they they slowed the pace down. They they also handed Vanderbilt a, a, an extra possession when they fumbled or got a safety on a punt return of all things. Um, and at the end of the day, Vandy only had 255 yards of offense. Um, and you know, and 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 honestly, made a few plays on third down to just stay on the field uh, a, f- a few times that you know you probably would expect. And um to, um, you know, to to win most of those, and so uh, this is going to be. I, I still think this is, and there's. I think there's some young players. Yeah, you mentioned like there's guys like Edron Cooper, who's a linebacker that's going to start to flash the more the season progresses. There's you know Jalen Jones going to start to flash the more the season progresses. A true freshman corner, like they're just they're talented enough. Like the defense is built in a place where it it is, you know, it needs to be. Um, to to compete in these sort of games, so I think the defense is there to to you know 
the level it needs to be. It's just the offense that that, that has to answer the bell. I'm going. Uh, I'm going 31-17. Sounds sounds like a reasonable score. Which means I'm probably going to end up betting AM. I'm just I need to kind of like hype myself up to do it. What's the uh, total at right now? Uh, total is 51 and a half. Uh, I bet it 54 and a half. So, um, yeah, that does seem like a number. I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on pace. You know, if, if Jimbo steps on the pace, comes out and doesn't play slow, you know, bucks, bucks his recent trend, then Bama might say, okay, yeah, we'll play pace too. But honestly, I think Nick Saban is extremely comfortable as a, as a defensive minded head coach, which he's one of the more offensive minded defensive dudes out there. But if he's like, oh, you guys want to play a uh, little relaxed defensive game, I, I, I get time to get all, all my calls in, and I get to use my offensive line and run the ball with, with Najee and we'll throw some play action at Jalen. Okay, guys. Yeah, I mean, if, if you insist, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that a little bit. That's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know he, he's equipped to play these up-tempo games, but, like, I don't think Nick wants to play a game where, where he's having to defend 90 plays, you know, even if his own offense gets 90. It's like a little throwback game for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll be he'd be comfortable there. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I've got a couple more on my list. If if, if you want to go through these, what? Yeah, uh, let's roll. But I I brought up and Bam. I, I guess technically that was both of ours. Oak, Oklahoma at Iowa State, dude. There's no time for Oklahoma to lick its wounds. Like they got to go and be ready because if they lose this, they're out of the playoff for sure, and they're probably out of the conference championship game. They're only favored by like touchdown on the road. And I've got questions, honestly, about both these defenses. Like Iowa State's secondary at times and their run defense has been sketchy. Oklahoma's defensive line was the biggest problem I had in the entire game, really, because like Kansas State had to replace all five offensive linemen. Arkansas State's D line gave them a ton of trouble. And yet Oklahoma only had five tackles for loss and one sack in the ballgame. Like, what are they just gonna? Is Oklahoma's offense, like defensive line just going to suck this year in, until they get these dudes back? Like, can none of these guys play? So their best players aren't playing this year, or at least aren't playing yet, right? Ronnie Perkins isn't in there. Um, Jalen Redmond opted out. Uh, you know, if you're betting on this team to have found a defensive line, those guys have to be a pretty big factor in that, and they're just not there. So, you know, they already weren't that good, and now their best players aren't there. And so um, – I mean, the defense is 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 going to be is, is going to have its issues. Um, I think this one, like, but but this one, if you are looking for, like, if as I look at this, like, the thing I'm I feel fairly confident on is there will be points scored. Um, it's going to continue to get set. Like Brock Purdy hadn't played a good game yet, really, uh, and so you know he's due at some point. Uh, the run game, Brees Hall actually really found it last week at the run game for Iowa State. And and Iowa State's defense has been a little bit more spotty than, than we would have expected. Meanwhile, like Oklahoma, this nothing is surprising about what's happened offensively for Oklahoma. They just they're moving the ball. They just they're just turning it over a little bit more. So and and that's to be expected when you got inexperienced guys, young players finding their way. I think they'll move the ball again. And they may turn it over a couple times again, but I think that Oklahoma will be able to find the end zone in this game. Seth McGowan's going to be fine. Uh, Spencer Rattler is going to going to get a you know he's he's looked sharp. He just has had a few misses. I, I'm like this. This feels like a game where 
I could see Oklahoma running away from Iowa State. Or I could see Iowa State pulling. Was it last year? It was a 42-41 was the final? Like I could see something like that in this game as well. What's the total I, here? Sixty-two and a half. Sixty-two and a half. Honestly, like like the more slow. I listen to you, the more I kind of I've already I already took Oklahoma in this game and laid six and a half only because I just I was like, all right, I don't want to I don't want anything. You know, two scores, no thank you. But when it finally got down to six and a half, I was like, all right. I saw what Max Duggan did did to Iowa State's defense. I certainly like Oklahoma's passing offense better than I like TCU's. No offense to TCU, of course. I, I just think Oklahoma can outscore them. But, man, the more I think about this, I, I need to play an over here, too. I'm, I'm going to add yeah. that. My initial reaction to the to the number was, okay, I get it. Uh, Oklahoma had didn't look great against Kansas State. Um, Iowa State's been known to play them tough. Uh, but I, I was leaning Oklahoma on this as well. Um, and, you know, granted – they what Iowa State's Iowa State they played them close last year was it two years ago they beat them yeah um so I mean this obviously Matt Campbell kind of has the has Lincoln Riley's number to a certain degree but I also just I think that in a lot of ways like this this Oklahoma offense is just getting lathered up like they're just getting they're just getting you know um in their a little bit and so I think that they'll keep on getting sharper uh and you know, what is Iowa State showing us to make us think that they've that, that defense is going to be stout this year? So we'll see. I mean, I think, but I but I'm but I'm a I'm kind of on the the OU overplay there as well. I like that. The only only real real concern I would have there is if both teams really stick with running the ball. I mean, you you, you can run on Iowa State this year. Louisiana did it. TCU had some running success against them. And I think Oklahoma could probably run it against them. And then you can definitely run the ball on Oklahoma this year. Um even though the two offenses they played, Missouri State and Kansas State, have been, you know, rather poor, uh, Iowa State's actually run the ball well this year. That was one of my main preseason questions for them: is like, can Iowa State run it all? Because their passing game last year and and the the scrambling ability of, of Purdy really kept them alive. This year, Brees Hall is actually like carrying the load and, and running the ball well for them. That's my only real concern with with an over here is like, what if what if both these teams just run the ball a lot more than normal? And don't push the tempo quite as much, and and the clock runs. But I guess if you're giving up 10, 12 yards a chunk, the, the, the clock's going to stop anywhere from the first down chains. Yeah, I, I don't think like, I, I'd be surprised if Kansas State has a really good offense this year. They they don't like I'm I we saw I think we saw enough of them against Arkansas State to know that Kansas State's offense is not going to be good. Like they've found a nice little gadget in, in Deuce Vaughn, and and he's fun and a great player. Uh, but look, I mean, they, they, they got their, 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 had their success last week in, in the sort of these chunk plays, the offensive line, as you mentioned, got beat up against Arkansas state. Um, I, I just, I don't know that I think Iowa state is much more equipped to bring consistent, like consistent offensive success as opposed to this sort of, you know, all or nothing type of, of, um, type, type of game that, that we saw at Kansas state. And so I, I, yeah, like this is this is I I don't know how many stops either of these teams are going to get honestly. All right, we got one more before we go. No huddle. That's Auburn, Georgia. I'll I'll let you lead off on this one. Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, Georgia to me found a quarterback, and it's just the it's and 
and it's from talking to Rusty Manziel, it doesn't sound like we're going to see JT Daniels this week. It's still going to be the Stetson and or Dwan Mathis show more than likely. Um, but I think that, uh, that, that Georgia did find a quarterback last week. They, they, it, it might not be the flashy quarterback that many had hoped when JT Daniels and Jamie Newman came roaring into town, but they found a quarterback that can operate Georgia's offense and stabilize things in a way that uh, obviously Dwan Mathis really couldn't. And so, all right, so now we just know what Georgia is. They're just sort of the same old boring Georgia, but same old boring Georgia has been really good. So where are the, like, where are the, the, the matchups, where are the, the, the issues? Um, you know, we know how good that Georgia defense is. Uh, the offensive line for Auburn is a little bit rebuilt. Uh, and, and while they don't like Georgia's defense still doesn't like create a whole lot of havoc plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, they, they are, they're really good. They're really deep. Uh, they're stout. I don't think Auburn's going to be able to run the ball very effectively. They didn't against Kentucky. And so in a game, that's probably going to be pretty low scoring. I just, I, I probably have more confidence in Georgia in week two under the, you know, the experienced but low ceiling quarterback Stetson Bennett to just sort of grind out a few tough yards than, than maybe I do with, with Auburn. I don't know if that's the right play or that's the right mentality. I got a couple more days to think through it. But aside from Seth Williams just going out and mossing someone and making a few plays like that, like, I still think I have more confidence in Georgia offensively against a, a young Auburn defensive front than like vice versa. So this is kind of like best unit on the field theory, which is, which kind of states like, all right, in the absence of any of the units on, on the field, just being completely incompetent. And, and I don't think Georgia's offense is good yet. It may still be good, but I don't think it's good yet. No, you, I, you know, I agree. In the absence of any of these, these units on the field being totally incompetent, go with the the one that has like the absolute best unit, which is Georgia's defense. It was already the best defense in the country last year, arguably. I think this year, I, I went. It was actually on last night. I had it on in the background uh, while I was watching the debate, so I was kind of double screening it. And you're right, Georgia did not create a ton of havoc plays yet. But one thing they did do a tremendous job of, I, I thought, was compressing the pocket against Arkansas, like Felipe Franks never looked all that comfortable back there. They weren't actually getting to him and sacking him, but they were keeping him in the pocket. They were making him uncomfortable within that pocket as it compressed around him. Uh, and then they, I mean, the couple of plays Arkansas made were were really good plays. I mean, they, they, Georgia was making them execute at a high level. And I'm actually fairly high on Arkansas's offense this year. So I, I was impressed by what Georgia did to their offense. I, I'm not sure that I'm totally ready to buy in on Bennett because of Arkansas's defense. Like I have no reason to think Arkansas's defense is anything but the worst defense in the SEC at this point. Now maybe Old Miss is going to give me a run for my money. But like they didn't recruit any talent there, not much at least, over the last couple of years. And they have a new scheme. I, I don't really believe in Arkansas's defense yet. But one thing that concerns me a lot here, and I bet Auburn I took the eight when it came out. And I just I'm not going to lay double digits with Georgia. At this point, although I think now it's down like six and a half, so that's a little. Yeah, bit, I, I wouldn't but, take six and a half with Auburn. Eight, but even that, fire. like even that, like it still feels like this game 
like might land right at six. Like it might be a, I don't know, you know, a a 14 game or something. Um, And so it feels like six and a half is a bigger number than like whether, whether George, even if, even with George is the right, like the the better team, I just think the margins are going to be very, very slim in this game and the possessions are going to be really hard fought and, and, and under one touchdown is, it feels like the place this game is going to be played. I agree. And look, I understand Kirby has had Gus's number. Um, the one thing that really concerns about Auburn is this, right? Their running backs, Sean Shivers, DJ Williams, Tank Bigsby, 22 carries, 65 yards. I mean, that's against Kentucky. I'm a believer that Bo Nix is better this year. I'm a believer that Chad Morris is going to make that offense better this year. If Bo Nix has to throw the ball 45 times to beat Georgia, I might be in trouble, man, because I don't know that I believe in him that much against that defense. And I, I know there's no, no fans in the stands or limited fans or whatever, but uh, the, Auburn has got to find a way to get something out of their run game because you can't put it all on Bo Nix to go beat that defense just chucking the ball. And I, I think those guys are good players. Um, I think it's – but, you know, if that offensive line couldn't – and out a few holes for against Kentucky, and I think Kentucky's got a, a, a good defensive front, so it, not a slight on Kentucky, but I, but Georgia's is better, um, and so you know I I I, I think that that's going to be a big matchup. You know, can Auburn's offensive line get better, um, get more physical? Uh, but I think either way, the both of these teams in the same way, Gus Malzahn in these early season games. You know, he he's he likes winning these games 17-13. He likes, you know, he likes taking these to the last possession. And Kirby just likes taking all games to the last possession. <laughs> you know, the 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 deeper in the season the get it gets, the more it seems like Auburn is open to just like let's just go wild and just mm-hmm. you know play in the 30s. But early in the year, Auburn is seems like every season Auburn is into these very low scoring, you know, tightly wound games. And well, and George is very comfortable in that pool as well. Think back to when we had those games against LSU traditionally on the schedule very early. Like they were always like grinded, like like the the, the you know Fournette versus whoever was Auburn quarterback at the time. You know they, they were always kind of grinded out games. Uh, Barton, we got to go. We got to do an ad read real fast, and let's go no huddle, go mailbag, and then go one big recruiting thing and get out of here on this Wednesday. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, guys, and we're back. Appreciate that. 
five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, if you could be so kind. If you're listening to us, and maybe embedded on 247sports.com or wherever, make sure you hit that subscribe button, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and uh, coming soon, Amazon Music, so you can listen to us on your Alexa or Echo or whatever that is, and really potentially annoy your wife uh, in the house as you, you listen to us without, uh, without headphones on. So we've got a couple more games here. We're going to call this No Huddle. This is where we just go like 30 seconds on each, say what we want to learn real fast, and then we'll drop into this, uh, this mailbag. Let's lead it off. You had one here you, you wanted to talk about real fast up in your neck of the woods. I'm kind of fascinated with Vandy LSU. Uh, I think that Vandy surpassed everyone's expectations by playing Texas A&M close as a, as a 30-point dog. Uh, LSU underwhelmed as a what was their 17-point favorite in a loss against Mississippi State. But a couple of things that, that stuck out about the Vandy game is they're like PFF graded Vanderbilt's defensive line performance, one of the best in the country in, in last weekend. Um, their offensive line was like they, they weren't give, you know, putting together a bunch of chunk plays. They weren't um, – their yard per play average wasn't great, but they, they, they gave them a chance in a way I didn't think that they could. Uh, with a true freshman quarterback, you know, they were, they, they were possessing the football in a way that, you know, really giving them a chance. I think the Vanderbilt is, is much more competitive than we gave them credit for coming into the year. That said, much more difficult matchup here with LSU. And I think LSU, as it tries to get right, is, is potentially in a position to do exactly to Vanderbilt what it wanted to do to LSU, which is smother their wide receivers on the perimeter, uh, be better athletes than them. And like, even like they got to the quarterback, they just, KJ Cassell got rid of the football too quickly. Um, they had some you know, BJ Ozulari, um, who's the Juco transfer, whose name I'm, I'm blanking uh, on. Ali Gay. Ali Gay. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they showed some, some really defensive line flash it's just the, the nature of that offense they weren't really prepared for, and uh, I don't think. And so, I, I'm. I, it'll be it'll be fun to see what kind of bounce back each team has after underwhelming and and surprising performances uh, for either one. And yet, like my hunch here is that this is a you know come back down to earth moment for Vandy and perhaps a, a little bit of a um, opportunity to let out some frustration for LSU. I, I thought about betting LSU here, Barton, just because this may be the cheapest price you get on the Tigers all year. Um, if I could get like a 17, I'd, I'd be all in. I want to go real quickly uh, to Memphis SMU. Memphis has not played since the alleged party bus deal, and uh, they've had a couple games postponed or canceled. With SMU this year, I wanted to see if their defense would be any better. I think in order for them to take, take the next step, they have to be able to make some stops against a team with a pulse. Uh, Memphis, I just want to see, like, how do they look after such a long COVID layoff? Uh, and with Memphis or with SMU, I want to see, like, do they get any stops? So that's uh, that's what I'm wanting to learn there. I'm very confident both offenses will uh, will score. Just how much scoring? UVA, Clemson. Uh, UVA will be, I think, a worthy, well, I don't know about worthy. It'll be a decent test, at the least, for Clemson's reworked, uber-talented, but young defensive line because Virginia's offensive line, I think we both agree is it's very experienced. I think Brendan Armstrong is a legit starting winning quarterback for Virginia. 
Uh, I don't know whether Virginia's going to be able to keep up with Clemson on the other side of the ball, uh, but can they can they hang on to it a little bit? Can they get some drives? Can they shorten the game? Um, I think that this will be a I don't I don't expect some sort of upset alert, but I think it'll be a uh, I think it'll be an opportunity to learn more about Clemson than we've had to this point against Wake. I, I did go ahead and bet bet UVA plus twenty eight and a half when it came out. I, I thought that was a good number, and uh, I, I also UVA is not going to play roll up tempo, so they have a chance to keep that thing within the number uh, just just due to limited possessions. And the final one I want to watch is Baylor West Virginia because I don't I don't know anything about Baylor yet, man. Like I know that they didn't totally shit the bed against Kansas, but also I think there's only about five or six teams in the country who have played so far who are actually worse than the Jayhawks. And I'm going to keep betting against Kansas until Vegas realizes that like, this is not a Power 5 quality team this year. But because of that, I haven't really been able to figure out anything about Baylor. And they also had two kick, two kick returns for touchdowns and a safety. So that's 16 points right there that we really didn't get to you know see their offense operate because their, their drives got taken away from them, which I'm sure they're very happy about because they're scoring anyway on kickoffs. Uh, but like West Virginia, their offense... Dude, it got shut down by, by Okie State's defense. And Okie State's defense might be pretty good. And like keeping your keeping your playoff hopes alive there for the Cowboys. But I I went ahead and took Baylor. I, I think I like their roster better than West Virginia. And I'm I'm gonna learn a learn a lot about both these teams. Specifically, like can Baylor create explosive passing plays? Because last year they could often enough and against Kansas sort of a, a lack of them relative to how bad Kansas's defense is. So what's that Baylor what's that Baylor number at? Uh let me see here. I took it at what two and a half and I think it's at hold on. Uh three. But it, it's okay. it, it's it's a cheap three. So it's like three minus one oh five if you uh if you care about saving the five bucks. I got you. Um yeah I, th- I like because I still think that West Virginia is a really competitive team um and i think neil brown's going to get a win uh against somebody good somewhere along the way um but this will be this will be our first chance to really get a get get a better feel for for baylor at the very least uh to know if that is actually one of those those good teams uh all right we got about 10 minutes here yeah back time this is rob cope Cope. you go ahead and read it because it's it's directed to me i guess great pod fellas gator fan here question for you bud what is going to have to happen for you to change your opinion about non-quarterback transfers? You MF and hater. That's not in there, but that's that's applied. Florida has added key pieces like Van Jefferson and John Grenard, who filled huge needs and became early round picks in the star count of the current trans uh, in the star count of the current transfers, Cox, Shorter, Lingard look even better. I see no other way for a new head coach to overcome inherited imbalance class departures and holes in the rosters. So, all right. I think Rob's question has a couple parts that are, that are worth addressing. Um, I think he's largely referring to what we talked about when we did the transfer ratings, uh, which was mostly done by me. And then Barton reviewed him and was like, Hey, these, these couple, like we need to take a second look at, and I'm very happy that he did. Cause that was quite the undertaking. Um, we know for a fact that like transfer quarterbacks can still get taken pretty highly in the draft, at least based on recent sample. Whereas transfer players at other positions typically transfer because something wrong was going on with their career. Not always, right? Grad transfers are a little bit different. Guys you transfer up are a little bit different. But for the most part, coaches seem to have an easier time figuring out who the right player is to start 
at, at a position that's not quarterback. Sometimes they just make the wrong call at quarterback, maybe more frequently than they do at other spots. Uh, and so you see some transfers there that end up working out at a bit higher rate than you do at other positions. Um, I went and looked here. The two, the two Florida transfers from for this year's team that we put four stars on, Cox and uh, Stuart Reese, we, we did end up giving, giving Reese four stars. Uh, they started and looked good for, uh, for the Gators. Shorter and Lingard, uh, I think we gave them like high three stars, and I'm not aware of them doing much at all against a bad Ole Miss defense, and I'm, I'm not even sure where they are on the two deep. I think Lingard had a, a – I saw him catch – or not Lingard, right? I think Shorter had a screen catch, and we'll see. I mean, look, I'll, I'll eat crow if I'm wrong on those guys, but through one week I'm pretty confident that we, we, got, we got them right, or at least, the, the, at least the order of them right, like who we had higher, who we had lower. Um, and to his other point, in my opinion, yeah, like you do have to be good at the transfer market if you want to flip a roster faster. I just don't think you can continually build your team on transfers. I I would contend that it's not you, bud, that has you know the 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 incorrect opinion about transfers. It's Rob Cope, respectfully, that has the incorrect opinion about the rankings process because. This, Ultimately, it just boils down to the same old thing we always talk about, which is like the idea that uh, a three-star is somehow like a player you don't want. You can get a, a, a positive impact from a three-star prospect. What do we rank? Link Garden Shorter. Um, that, that, that just is a, is a value add to your team without those guys becoming NFL draft picks. And that happens market all the time but we're ranking guys coming out of high school we are casting a big net and trying to collect as many future nfl draft picks in that four-star range as we can and in from the in the transfer portal we're doing the same thing but it's have a bigger body of work to to then evaluate in terms of what they've knowledge so you can you can narrow that focus a little bit and you can you can make more educated decisions and you should and we do um, consider what kind of feedback we're like. There's nothing that says Justin Shorter has done anything to indicate he is going to be an NFL receiver. And that I, I hope he does. I, I, I'm not trying to hate on Justin Shorter, but we've seen him. He's he couldn't get on the field as a freshman coming off an injury. He as a redshirt freshman, he got on the field a little bit and and really frankly showed some issues tracking the ball downfield and catching the ball cleanly. And it's just, he's just going to have to prove, like, he, you don't just get to carry these rankings forever. So Cox, yeah, he balled out. Reese balled out. Like, those guys are four-star guys. Um, there's, there's a lot of transfers that are making an impact. Khalil Herbert was a four-star transfer from Kansas who had 100 yards on six carries in his first week. Um, but, you know, Tate Martell, we kept a four-star on when he went from Ohio State to, to Miami. We shouldn't have. Like, he should have been reevaluated and reassessed in a, in a more critical way as someone that just was, hadn't shown the I- indications that he was going to hit what his, what his initial um, projection was thought to be, which is really high. So it's, I, I think, uh, I think it's a continued sort of effort to try to get people to, to reshape, reframe the way they think about the ranking system as more than just, it's a four-star bust. All right. One big recruiting thing here, Jake Garcia. I loved your tweet on this. Jake Garcia, who had transferred from California to Georgia to play for uh, Probes at Valdosta. Four-star USC commit. Yeah, quarterback. And uh, gives an interview to, was it ESPN or? I think it was ESPN. Um, 
His dad gave it or something, maybe. And uh, they basically explained how they kind of found a loophole with divorce in the Georgia high school eligibility transfer stuff. And turns out that uh, they ended up investigating that and he is now not eligible to play. I mean, look, su- sucks for the kid, obviously. We're, we're, we're not trying to bag on, on Jake Garcia, but uh, that's uh, that's not great for his development for him not to be able to play his senior year. So certainly you know, disappointing news there. Right. But, uh, you know, a lot of these Cali kids, I guess, Chance, he may not have played anyways. A lot of these Cali kids are not getting an opportunity to play their senior seasons. I just think it's it's a little bit comical. And, I mean, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but I'm kind of serious. Like, if, if your family, if your parents are willing to literally divorce with plans of getting back together um, after your senior season and separate for the fall, one of them move across the country with you to Georgia – then I don't know. Maybe just let the guy play. Like, like that seems like that seems like a lot of effort that's well earned to get a season, senior season out of this thing. So, uh, hey, I don't I don't knock that hustle. That, that's that's a good effort. I mean, like, a, imagine if you and Haley split just just so one of, one of your girls can go play for Brentwood South uh, Little League All Stars <laughs> for, for the softball World Series, and then they're like, nope. I mean, that would gosh, that, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of work. That's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> For uh, for just one game or whatever, Jake Garcia got in. Oh man, I wonder if uh, wonder if California is a, a community property state. So, <laughs> all right, uh, four big commitments we should talk about here: Dion Colsey to Notre Dame, Diego Pounds to North Carolina, Rod Orr to Florida State, and Philip Riley uh, to USC. I'll I'll take uh, I'll take the bottom two there if you want to lead off with the top two with Colsey and Pounds. So I, I thought the big the big thing with Deion Colsey, he's a one-time Notre Dame commit uh, out of Georgia, decommitted and and recommitted now to Notre Dame. But he is he's big. He's got pretty good like testing numbers at that size. He doesn't necessarily play as fast as I'd like to on film, but he is legitimately like a strong tester with with some elite athletic upside. And I think when you look at Notre Dame's roster, that's sort of the one thing it's missing. It's got great running backs, it's got good offensive line, it's got good tight end. Doesn't have that outside guy. So I think that's a big get for Notre Dame. Diego Pounds, offensive tackle from North Carolina, commits to North Carolina. I haven't looked at the numbers. I guess I could pull it up right now. But but North Carolina is absolutely on a warpath in the state uh, in terms of just cleaning up and recruiting. And uh, they've and, and Diego Pounds is another one that had interest from a lot of big-time programs, including, including some like Big Ten powerhouses. Um, North Carolina as a as a class is up to thirteen commits in state, and I, you know I think they've got most of the most of the guys in the in the top of the ranking. So uh, a, a great indicator for what's to come for Mac Brown in terms of his in state recruiting. Absolutely agree there. By the way, if you want to know where Penn State turns, check out the uh, Lions two four seven podcast. Uh, they did a whole episode on missing out on pounds because Penn State certainly thought they were going to get him up until probably the last uh, last day of Pounds' recruitment. So Rod Orr to Florida State, obviously you've probably heard me talk about, and if you've watched any Florida State games over like the last, I don't know, three years, you may have noticed they have an offensive line issue. They need to recruit to fix that in the long term. Rod Orr is a guy, uh, he's actually not that great of a player right now, uh, but he does have a lot of upside. Former basketball dude, like 6'6"-ish, can bend, athletic for his size, has the length that you're looking for there at tackle. And uh, Coach Alex Atkins uh, got on him early for the Knowles. He was he was the play caller uh, at Charlotte for Will Healy and is now the offensive line coach for Norvell there 
uh, kind of a rising guy in the profession. And he got on him early and worked the relationship a lot. And uh, ultimately, he and then Dillingham as well, who was at Auburn and, and knew uh, of or and they end up getting him over Tennessee and a couple other schools that were you know decent schools. Not like you know, it wasn't like a George Alabama battle type thing. But uh, they're I know they're really happy to get him. And then Philip Riley is a versatile DB. He's actually from the West Coast and he plays now in Florida. But a very bright kid. He was committed to uh, shoot, Notre Dame, that's right. And then he ends up flipping to USC. So so one for the Trojans there in that rivalry. And uh, yeah, I, I I think we should do this. This is one big recruiting thing. This is how I want to keep people engaged with recruiting who are not big time recruiting fans. You know, throughout the year, and then as we get closer to signing day, we'll shift and and talk more macro recruiting stuff. So, I think that's it, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Let's uh, talk again on Sunday. Hopefully, yes, hopefully another wild weekend to come. Bring it on. The wilder, the better. Let's drop those dominoes. <laughs>